Welcome to the show, everybody. This is your boy, Lo Jackson, coming to you live with the Only You Podcast in our second season here at the Only You Podcast. And today we're going to be doing a book called The Power of Positive Thinking by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. Its first publication was in 1956, and it's a practical guide um, to mastering um, pra- uh, practical problems of everyday living and you can find this book on all the normal places that I tell you guys about. And uh, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale was actually born on May 31st, 1898, same year my grandfather was born. December 24th, 1993 was when he passed away, unfortunately. He was an American Protestant clergyman and author, best known for popularizing, popularizing the concept of positive thinking, especially through the uh, best-selling book, the power of positive thinking and it was uh written in 1952 and published in 1956 for the first time and uh dr peel served as um, a pastor um in new york from 1932 leading the reformed church in america the congregation for more than a half a century he was at that job and he actually retired in 1984 alongside his pulpit ministry he had an extensive career of writing and editing and radio and television presentations despite arguing arguing at times against involvement of clergy and politics he nevertheless had some controversial afflictions with politically active organizations in the late 1930s and engaged with uh national political candidates and their campaigns having a influence on some including a personal friendship with president richard nixon which i guess i don't know if that's something to be proud of or not um peel led a group of oppo- uh, opposing the election of john f kennedy for president saying faced with the election of a catholic our culture is at stake wow is that not interesting the thoughts behind some people and this was a man of education i just wow most of the time when people are educated they, you know, they have a brighter outlook and more of understanding and less um, kind of closed offness, you know. Theologian uh, Reinhold uh, Niebuhr responded that Peel was motivated by blind prejudice and facing intense public criticism, Peel retracted his statement. He also opposed... Um, Adlea Stevenson candidacy for president because he was divorced, which led Stevenson to famously quip, I find St. Paul appealing and St. Peel appalling. Wow. What a terrible way to go. This guy got lost along the way, it sounds like. But, you know, following the publication of Peel's 1952 bestseller, his ideas became the focus of criticism from several psychiatric professions, Oh, excuse me, um, several psychiatric professionals, church theologians, and leaders. Peel was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian honor in the United States, on March 22, 1984, by President Ronald Reagan. He died at age 95, following a stroke on December 24, 1993, in Pauling, New York. He was survived by Ruth Stafford, his wife of 63 years, who had influenced him with regard to the publication of The Power 
1952, and with whom he had founded Guideposts in 1945. Ruth died on February 6, 2008, at the age of 101. Wow. You know, Peel was born, actually, in Bowersville, Ohio. Um, he was the eldest of three sons. I think that's kind of cool. Um, Peel graduated from Belafonte High School in Belafonte, Ohio. He attended um, and earned a degree at Ohio Wesleyan University, where he became a brother uh, at the Phi Gamma Delta fraternity. He also began to uh, attend Boston University School of Theology. And, you know, uh, serving as a pulpit replacement in a subsequent summer break, the Boston theology trainee was persuaded by his father to abandon the formal preaching style of his training for one of simplicity, which led Peel to talk about Jesus Christ, relating him to the simplicities of human lives, and which led he would later re recollect to a good reception and looks of gratitude and goodness on the face of congregants. I think... Uh, Dr. Peel sounds like a pretty interesting person, and um, I want to share with you guys um, this book because I, I found it to be a really good read. I'd say it's about a four-star book, um, you know, and there was actually a movement back in the 50s and the, the, the power of positive thinking, and I mean, we all know that, you know, positive thinking is a huge factor in human life, and it has so many detrimental effects on our lives when you think negative i mean it builds negative relationships it builds um certain confines in your mind to lead you down a road that things happen later on drama upsets and all these things but in reality they were set in motion long before that by you and you didn't even really honestly know it until it was honestly too late probably um the introduction to the power of positive thinking goes like this what this book can do for you. The book is written to suggest techniques and to give examples which demonstrate that you do not need to be defeated by anything. That you can have peace of mind, improved health, and never ceasing flow of energy. In short, that your life can be full of joy and satisfaction. Of this I have no doubt at all, for I have watched countless persons learn and apply a system of simple procedures that has brought about the foregoing benefits in their lives. These assertions, which may appear extravagant, are based on bona fide demonstrations and actual human experience. Although too many people are defeated by the everyday problems of life, they go struggling, perhaps even whining, through their days with a sense of dull resentment at uh, what they consider the bad breaks life has given them. In a sense, there may be such a thing as the breaks in this life, but there is also a spirit and method by which we can control and even determine those breaks. It is a pity that people should let themselves be defeated by the problems, cares, and difficulties of human existence, and it is also quite unnecessary. In saying this, I certainly do not ignore or minimize the hardships and tragedies of the world, but neither do I allow them to dominate. And that's what we need to do as people. We need to stop letting the problems and vicissitudes of everyday life dominate what goes on tomorrow because right now should be the only thing that matters because tomorrow is only on the calendar of fools and I always say that. The purpose of this book is a very direct and simple one. 
It makes no pretense to literary excellence, nor does it seek to demonstrate any unusual scholarship on my part. This is a simple, practical, direct action, personal improvement manual. It is written with the sole objective of helping the reader achieve a happy, satisfying, and successful life worth living. I thoroughly and enthusiastically believe in certain demonstrated and effective principles which then practice, produce a victorious life. And anything that you do repetitively, you become great at. You know, it's like the saying says, practice makes perfect. And it's so true about everything in everyday human life. If you read this book um, thoughtfully, carefully, absorbing its teachings, and if you will sincerely and persistently practice the principles and formulas set forth therein, you can experience an amazing improvement within yourself by using the techniques outlined here. You can modify and change the circumstances in which you now live, assuming control over them rather than continuing to be directed by them. And that's what we, um, as people, like to do. We get like to get directed by all the problems, and then we just start falling through our lives aimlessly, you know. And I'm not saying that I'm totally 100% on my A mental game, because I'm not. I'm a struggling human being. I read these books in hopes that I may find outlets and directions for my mind so I don't have to be stuck in the confines of past abuses, traumas, and trying to, you know, find my way crawling through the dark on my hands and knees looking for some light that I may never find because I wasn't taught to, you know, stand up, take a step and repeat. I was taught to stay down in the dark and pretty much just live a life of mediocrity and Reality is human beings, nobody was meant to live a life of mediocrity, folks. And sometimes we get in situations where we don't know how to get out of them, and that's why I read these books to you, because there are ways out of the situations and circumstances that surround your life. And sometimes once we get to the root cause, and a lot of people's problems is they don't really realize what the root causes of things, you know. Um, and unfortunately, we don't really understand our own brains and the way our brains work and um, what they're trying to reveal to us. And, you know, I, I find that um, well, one of the things that I am reading right now, and I'm, I'm, I want to share this with you guys because it's like, um, you know, it's about the amyg amygdala in the brain. And I think every single person out there needs to realize what the brain's function is and how, you know, your computer system works. You know, and the amygdala is in the middle of your brain, and it actually has, you know, its job is to tell you to run away from something or to fight something. But there's actually another governance over the amygdala in your mind, and that's the uh, medial lobes, and they're just um, above your um, eyes on the top of your forehead inside of your brain. And what its job is to do is it actually governs. It's, you know, it's mindfulness. It's in charge of the mindfulness of your body and your mind. And some people, you know, and caffeine can actually make your medial lobes not work. And it'll make your amygdala instantly react. And that's why people in an argument blow up and get raging because they don't let their um, medial lobes um, be mindful over the situation. You know, when somebody's running up to you really fast in the dark, your, amyg your amygdala will say, hey, man, you got to fight this guy. He's coming up quick. 
But in reality, your medial lobe will be like, hey, this guy's running by you. He is not a threat. He don't have a knife, a gun, or anything. He's actually in workout clothes. He's not a dark figure or a shadow like your mind or your amygdala is making you think, you know. And here in the last year and a half, I've read more and more about how nature affects the amygdala and how once you take a walk in nature like it can change um a bad mood or a bad day in five minutes and you know they're starting to incorporate technology in nature you know alexa in nature and you know uh katana google katana in nature and stuff like that because people want the alpha beta gamma music um Holio, Holiosync, look that up, Holiosync music, because Holiosync actually, um, it makes the brain go into a meditative state without having to be hypnotized, and that's what Holiosync music does, and, and it, you know, I, I want to read um, um, something that was written by Beth Elwood. It's um, from from uh, Psych Post, and it's a and, and the title is the experiment reveals that a one hour walk in nature reduces amygdala activity, which may protect mental health. And um, today we're doing the positive uh, or the power of positive thinking by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, and I'm sharing with you right now um, an experiment that was um, how. A one-hour walk in nature reduces amygdala activity. And you want to reduce the amygdala's activity because if your amygdala activity is always in the fight-or-flight response for over 20 years, you're definitely mentally ill at this point and you are being constricted by the mental upsets that are going on inside of your brain from the overactivity of your amygdala and not relying on your medial lobes to... Let the amygdala know, hey, you're okay. You're not in any kind of trauma. You're not going through any kind of messed up situation or drama, you know. New study, a new study published in the journal uh, Molecular Psychiatry offers evidence that a simple walk through nature can lower activity in stress-related brain regions. The experiment revealed that participants who walked for an hour in a forest showed decreased amygdala activity during a stress talk task, excuse me, while those who walked for an hour in the city did not. And that's another thing about the city. Um, there, and I've read lots of research here lately that's saying that, you know, people that live in the city have higher anxiety rates, higher stress rates. Um, there's more counselors and psychiatry people making tons more money in cities because, you know, I'm, I mean, like a third of the world's population live in cities. So, I mean, that's important stuff to know, I believe. And that's why I'm sharing that with you guys. Um, natural environments are known to provide mental health benefits. For example, being around, uh, nature can reduce negative emotions and stress. On the flip side, psych psychologists have long contended a connection between urban living and poor mental health. For example, city dwellers have higher rates of anxiety, depression, mood disorders, and schizophrenia that people living in rural areas do not. So, and you know, schizophrenia is actually brought on um, from major, major stress and not knowing how to cope with the stress at hand. And, you know, and a lot of these disorders are created by ourselves from 
you know, traumatic situations or dr dramatic situations that go on in our lives that we're, are totally out of um, our human control. With increasing urbanization, it is important to consider how natural versus city environments may uh, differ differently impact the brain. There is some evidence that city dwellers show greater activation of the amygdala during social stress tasks compared to rural dwellers. I mean, come on. You got... Six million people around you, twenty-four-seven. People running by. You got a, your amygdala is never sleeping. It's constantly, you know. So, in reality, you just get into survival mode when your amygdala is constantly engaged, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, and you never let your amygdala subside and relax. So you're literally in survival mode, twenty-four-seven. And people get stuck in these survival modes and then wonder why they're acting the way they are when they start turning 35 and 40 and they're starting to realize that they haven't been living and something's wrong and it's a traumatic situation and it can be and, it, and sometimes people don't realize it until you know they're almost 40 because we're so busy just surviving from you know 18 to 38 that you never take time to stop reflect analyze and grow and it's sad and, I, and, I, and it's upsetting. There is some evidence that city dwellers show greater activation of the amygdala during social stress tasks compared to rural dwellers. In light of such findings, study author Sonia uh, Sudmack and her colleagues conducted an inter, uh, inter oh, excuse me, yeah, intervention study to investigate how a walk in nature versus the city might impact stress-related brain regions. The researchers hope to uh, tease apart the negative effects of urban environments and the beneficial effects of nature. There has been solid research showing that exposure to nature is beneficial for mental health and cognition, but no study so far has examined neutral mechanisms lying behind these effects. Um, in a um, seminal study, a brain region involved in a stress pr processing the amygdala has been shown to be less activated during stress in people who live in rural areas compared to those who live in cities, hinting at the potential benefits of nature. But so far, it was not possible to disentangle the hen and egg problem, namely whether nature actually caused the effects in the brain or whether the particular individuals chose to live in rural or urban regions. That is why we conducted an intervention study in which we managed to show the casual evidence, namely amygdala activity remained stable after a walk in urban environment while a walk in nature remarkably reduced amygdala activity. A total of 63 subjects with an average of age of 27 were recruited from Berlin to participate in the experiment. Roughly half of the sample was randomly assigned to take an hour-long walk through an urban forest in Berlin, while the other half was assigned to take an hour-long walk through a busy street in one of Berlin's city centers. Before and after the walk, participants underwent functional magnetic renaissance imaging, FMRI, while participating in a social stress task as well as a fearful faces task and measured amygdala activity in response to fearful and neutral facial expressions. And you guys, I'm learning throughout 
um, all my readings and studies, this imagery stuff, it's huge. And I've done some of it in my own um, healing and my own therapy. And it's not a bad idea. The, the, the um, therapeutic imaging, I mean, I, I mean, the therapies that they have out there that surround imaging is just, it's unbelievable. The results revealed that participants who went on the na nature walk showed decreased amygdala activity following the walk during both the fearful faces task and the social stress task. Those who walked in the city, however, showed stable amygdala activity during the two tasks. The study author says these findings suggest that exposure to nature promotes recovery from stress by lowering amygdala activity. See, and if your amygdala is constantly on the go, you're, you're just surviving, you guys. I mean, you're not thriving, you're not living. And a lot of people don't even have any idea that they're doing this until they're like almost 40. The more I read, the more I realize that we as human beings really don't grow up until we're almost 40 years old. And it's a sad situation because it didn't used to be like that in the past when we were being brought up in a well-rounded um, social environment when, you know, everybody realized that it took a baby to raise a village and it wasn't just on, you know, the parents. And a lot of times in America, I think we do that. And today we're doing The Power of Positive Thinking by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. And chapter one is believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Have faith in your abilities. Without a humble but reasonable confidence in your own powers, you cannot be successful or happy. But with sound self-confidence, you can succeed. A sense of inferiority and inadequacy interferes with the attainment of your hopes, but self-confidence leads to self-realization and successful achievement. Because of the importance of this mental attitude, this book will help you believe in yourself and release your inner powers. It is a it is appalling to realize the number of pathetic people who are hampering and made miserable by the malady popular, excuse me, popularly called the inferiority complex. But you need not suffer from this trouble. When proper tasks are taken, it can be overcome. You can develop creative faith in yourself, faith that is justified. After speaking to a convention of businessmen in a city auditorium i was on the stage greeting people with a when a man approached me and with a peculiar intensity of manner asked may i talk with you about a matter of desperate importance to me i asked him to remain until the others had gone then we went backstage and sat down i'm in this town to handle the most important business deal of my life he explained if i succeed it means everything to me if i fail I'm done for. I suggested that he relax a little, that nothing was quite that final. If he succeeded, that was fine. If he didn't, well, tomorrow was another day. And that's what we have problems with the human beings is realizing if we fail, you're just gaining experience to come back that much stronger the next time. So, you know, don't, don't be afraid to fail because life is a learning lesson. Life is about failing and, you know, overcoming our failures. I have a terrible disbelief in myself, he said dejectedly. I have no confidence. I just don't believe I can put it over. I am very discouraged and depressed. In fact, he laminated, I'm just about <laughs> sunk. Here I am 40 years old. Why is it that 
All my life, I have been tormented by inferiority, feeling by lack of confidence, by self-doubt. I listened to your speech tonight in which you talked about the power of positive thinking, and I want to ask how I can get some faith in myself. There are two steps to take, I replied. First, it is important to discover why you have these feelings of no power. That requires analysis and will take time. We must approach the maladies of our emotional life as a physician probes to find something wrong physically. And that's what I mean, you guys, when I say you got to get to the root cause of the problem. And if you don't sit down and journal, you're never going to get there because you're going to forget. Remember, like I always say, only the dumbest person writes stuff down because then he never forgets. This cannot be done immediately, certainly not in our brief interview tonight, and it may require treatment to reach a permanent solution. But to pull you through this immediate problem, I shall give you a formula which will work if you use it. As you walk down the street tonight, I suggest that you repeat certain words which I shall give you. Say them over several times after you get into bed. When you awaken tomorrow, repeat them three times before arising. On the way to your important appointments, say them three additional times. Do this with an attitude of faith and you will receive sufficient strength and ability to deal with this problem. Later, if you wish, we can go into analysis of your basic problem. But whatever we come up with following that study, the formula which I am now going to give you can be a large factor in the eventual cure. Following is the affirmation which I gave him. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And that's Philippians 4.13. He was unfamiliar with these words, so I wrote them on a card and had him read them over three times aloud. Now follow that prescription, and I am sure things will come out all right. He pulled himself up, stood quietly for a moment, and then said with considerable feeling, Okay, doctor. Okay. Upon analysis, I found that he talked too much, simply because of an inferiority feeling. To compensate for it, he succumbed to the temptation of parading his knowledge. He associated with men who were rather well-to-do, all of whom had attended college and belonged to a fraternity. But this boy was reared in poverty, had not been a, a college man or fraternity member. Thus, he felt himself inferior to his associates in education and social background. To build himself up with associates and to enhance himself, his self-esteem, his, his conscious mind, which also seeks to provide a uh, compensatory mechanism, supplied him with a means for raising his ego. He was on the side in the industry and accompanied his superior to conferences where he met outstanding men and listened to important private conversations. He reported just enough of his inside information to cause his associates to regard him with admiration and envy. This served to elevate his self-esteem and satisfy his desire for recognition. Um, when the employer became aware of the cause of his personality trait, being a kindly and understanding man, he pointed out to the young man the opportunities in business to which his abilities could lead him. He also described how his inferiority feelings caused him unreliability in um, confidential matters. This self-knowledge, together with a sincere practicing of the techniques of faith and prayer, made him a valuable asset to his company. 
his real powers were released. I can perhaps illustrate the manner in which many youngsters acquire an inferiority complex through the use of personal references. As a small boy, I was painfully thin. I had lots of energy, was on a track team, was healthy, and had oh, and hard as nails, but thin. And that bothered me because I didn't want to be thin. I wanted to be fat. I called skinny, but I was called skinny, but I didn't want to be called skinny. I wanted to be called fat. I belonged to a hard-boiled and tough, excuse me, I longed to be hard-boiled and tough and fat. I did everything to get fat. I drank cod liver oil, consumed vast numbers of milkshakes, ate thousands of chocolate sundaes with whipped cream and nuts, cakes and pies innumerable, but they did not affect me in the slightest. I stayed thin and lay awake nights thinking and agonizing about it. I kept on trying to get heavy until... I was about 30 when all of a sudden did I get heavy. Why, I know those days. Yeesh. I was always thinking that stuff in my 20s too. Like, I never sweat. I, I never sweated in my 20s. As soon as I hit 30, I, used to, I started sweating like a stuck pig. It was wild. <laughs> in the second place, to conclude this personal analysis, which I give only because it may help others by showing how this malady works, I was a minister's son and was constantly reminded of, the, of that fact. Everybody else could do everything, but if I did even the slightest little thing, ah, you are a preacher's son. Yeah, is that not funny how we're always held to certain types of standards because of certain kind of people that surround our lives? I find that wild. I found the solution of this problem in the simple techniques of faith taught in the Bible. These practices are scientific and sound and can heal any personality of the pain of inferiority feelings. Their use can enable the sufferer to find and release the powers which have been inhibited by a feeling of inadequacy. Thank you guys for listening to the Only You Podcast. This is your host, Lo Jackson. Today we're going over The Power of Positive Thinking by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. This was a really great read. Like I said, I gave it a four-star read. Um, their use can enable the sufferer to find and release the powers which have been inhibited by a feeling of inadequacy. Such are some of the resources of inferiority complex which erect power barriers in our personalities. It is some emotional violence done to us in, or some kind of emotional violence done to us in childhood or the consequences of certain circumstances and, or something we did to ourselves. The malady arises out of the mist past in the dim recesses of our personalities. Perhaps you had an older brother who was a brilliant student. He got A's in school. You made only C's and you never heard the last of it. So you believe that you could never succeed in life as he could. He got A's and you got C's. So the reason, so the reasoning, uh, you were consigned to getting C's all your life was that, you know, he got A's and that's, you, you put yourself in that confine, I think, you know, <clears throat> and, um, uh, Roland Hayes, the singer and quoted his grandfather to me, a man whose education was not equal to that of his grandson, but those native wisdom was obviously sound. He said the trouble with lots of pray, uh, prayers is they ain't got no suction 
Drive your prayers deep into your doubts, fears, inferiorities. Pray, pray deep. Big prayers that have plenty of suction and you will come up with powerful and vital faith. Go to a competent spiritual advisor and let him teach you how to have faith. The ability to possess and utilize faith and gain the release of powers it provides are skills and like any skills must be studied and practiced to gain perfection. And a lot of people struggle with that in many types of different types of religions out there in the world. I think that a lot of people are more, um, they're more like spiritual as opposed to, you know, religious. Like, they dabble in multiple different um, um, religions and they don't have just one base. And I think that's a part of our problem in the world today is we, you know, we lose our faith because we are duped into all kinds of different religious beliefs that aren't our actual home religion or our family's religion, I think. Um, chapter 2 of The Power of Positive Thinking is A Peaceful Mind Generates Power. At breakfast in a hotel dining room, three of us tell to uh, discussing how well we had slept the night before. A truly monumentous topic... One man complained of a sleepless night he had tossed and turned and was about as exhausted as when he retired. Guess I'd better stop listening to the news before going to bed, he observed. I tuned in last night and sure got an earful of trouble. That is quite a phrase, an earful of trouble. Little wonder he had a dis excuse me, little wonder he had a disturbed night. Maybe the coffee I drank before retiring had something to do with it. The other man spoke up. As for me, I had a great night's sleep. I got my news from the evening paper and from a, an earlier broadcast and had a chance to digest it before I went to sleep. Of course, he continued, I used my go-to-sleep plan, which never fails to work. I approached him for his plan, which he explained as follows. When I was a boy, my father, a farmer, had the habit of gathering the family in the parlor at bedtime, and he he would read us out of the Bible. I can hear him yet. In fact, every time I hear those Bible verses, I always seem to hear them in the tone of my father's voice. After prayers, I would go to my room and sleep like a top. But when I left home, I got away from the Bible reading and prayer habit. And we all go through this. Sometimes I have to, you know, when I do my monthly uh, self-examination because at the end of every week of every month I try to self-analyze and journal about you know things that I notice and I think you guys should take that into account and try to you know journal in your everyday life too to maybe help you uh, have a peaceful mind that might generate power um, I must admit that for years practically the only time I ever prayed was when I got into a jam but some months ago, my wife and I, having a number of difficult problems, decided we would try it again. We found it very helpful practice, so now every night before going to bed, she and I together read the Bible and have a lot of little sessions of prayer. I don't know what there is, it is about it, but I have been sleeping better and things have improved all down the line. In fact, I find it so helpful that even... Out on the road, as I am now, I still read the Bible and pray. Last night, I got into bed and read the 23rd Psalms. I read it out loud 
and it did me a lot of good and which it should because it's one of the most important bible verses out there <laughs> i mean come on david was a great guy he was a wonderful man he made mistakes you know he was an adulterer you know he did terrible things and but he asked for forgiveness he realized that god forgave him he put it he put it behind him he let it go and he lived in the moment for the rest of his life the essence of the secret lies in a change of mental attitude one must learn to live on a different thought basis and even though thought change requires effort it is much easier than to continue living as you are the life of strain is difficult the life inner peace being harmonious and without stress is the easiest type of existence the chief struggle then in gaining mental peace is the effort of revamping your thinking to the relaxed attitude of acceptance of god's gift of peace and I do totally find that true, too. God's peace is the best peace in the whole world. I mean, there's no other way um, to feel peace. Thus encouraged, he started to pray, hesitantly at first, and then with great impetus, he poured out his heart, and it was filled with hate, frustration, failure, a mass of it. Finally, he prayed plaintively, Dear Jesus, I have a lot of nerve to ask you to do anything for me because I never did anything for you. And I think that happens to a lot of people with um, Jesus is they they put a lot of emphasis on Jesus that they don't have to because he died on the cross to take care of all those emphasis. You know, and a lot of people say, please help me. So I prayed again and asked the Lord to answer his prayer. Then said, Lord, at the other end of the telephone wire, place your hand on my friend and give him peace help him now to yield himself and accept your gift of peace then i stopped and there was a rather long pause and i shall never forget the tone in his voice as i heard him say i shall always remember this experience and i want you to know for the first time in months i feel clean inside and happy and peaceful this man employed a simple technique for having a peaceful mind he emptied his mind and he received peace as a gift from god and I think everybody could learn something from that gentleman's story right there. You know, the words of the Bible have a particular strong therapeutic value. Drop them into your mind, allowing them to dissolve in um, consciousness, and they will spread a healing balm over your entire mental structure. And I, I want to stop right there and uh, include this. I had read a study earlier that people who have a lot of sexual energy in reality, they actually have a lot of healing energy. And healing energy and sexual energy go hand in hand. But if you can learn to cultivate and turn away from the sex part of it, you can literally cultivate it into laying your hands upon people and really seriously healing them. I find that amazing. Everyone present knew him quite well and realized he was under great nervous pressure. But finally, his irritating attitudes began to get on everybody's nerves. Presently, this nervous individual opened his traveling bag, took out a big bottle of uh, brackishing-looking medicine, and poured himself a large dose. Asked what this medicine was, he growled, oh, it's something for nerves. I feel like I'm going to break in pieces. The pressure I'm under makes me wonder if I'm going to crack up. I try not to show it, but I suppose even you fellows have observed swallowed several bottles of it, but I don't seem to get any better. The other men laughed, then one said in a kindly manner, Bill, I don't know anything about that medicine you are taking. Maybe it's all right. It probably is. 
but I can give you some medicine for those nerves that will do you more good than that. I know because it cured me, and I was worse off than you are. What is this medicine? snapped the other. This book will do the job, and I really mean it. I suppose you think it is strange that I carry a Bible around in my bag, but I don't care who knows it. I am not in a, a bit shamed of it. I have been carrying this Bible in my bag for the past two years, and I have marked places in it that help me and my mind at pe to be at peace. It works for me, and I think it can be something for you too. Why not give it a trial? The others were listening with interest to this unusual speech. The nervous man had sunk low in his chair, seeing that he was making an impression. The speaker continued, I had a peculiar experience in a hotel one night, which got me into the habit of reading the Bible. I was getting in pretty tense. I was getting into a pretty tense state. I was out on a business trip, and late one afternoon came up to my room terribly nervous. I tried to write some letters, but couldn't get my mind on them. I paced up and down the room, tried to read the paper, but that annoyed me, so I decided to go down and get a drink, anything to get away from myself. And I think a lot of us go through that in life. We're always trying to get away from ourselves or, you know, exile ourselves from, you know, um, social situations because we feel a certain way inside of ourselves. But social situations help you heal. People help you heal. Being around people help you heal. While standing by the dresser, my eye happened to fall upon a Bible lying there. I had seen many such Bibles in hotel rooms, but had never read any of them. However, something impelled me, and I opened the book to one of the Psalms and started to read it. Soon I came to the Psalms, 23rd Psalms. I had learned that one as a boy in Sunday school, and was surprised that I still knew most of it by heart. Me too, buddy. <laughs> I tried saying it over, especially that line where it says, He leadeth me beside the still waters, he restoreth my soul. And that's very important because that part of that verse is so powerful. When it's saying that God, he leads you by the still waters, that's a time in your life where things, you know, they may not be the greatest, but everything around you is calm. And that's a calm part of your life, you know. And the Lord's leading you through that because that's a time in your um, growth and development that um, you're becoming secure in your ways and you're being... Um, brought up appropriately by God in the Bible. Um, apparently, I had dropped off to sleep and slept soundly. I slept only about 15 minutes, but upon awakening was as refreshed, as rested as I'd had a good night's sleep. I, I can remember yet the wonderful feeling of complete refreshment. Then I realized that I felt peaceful and said to myself, isn't it strange? What is wrong with me that I have missed something as wonderful as this? So after the experience, he said, I bought a Bible, <laughs> a little one I could put in my bag, and I've been carrying it ever since. I honestly like to read it, and there's nothing wrong with that, and I think everybody should read the Bible or their, their Bible. An effective technique in developing a peaceful mind is the daily practice of silence, and I've learned over time, I'm a huge talker, I'm loud sometimes, but there is nothing more powerful in an argument, there is nothing more powerful um, in, in love, there is nothing more powerful in the most monumental moments of your life than silence. Silence sets a precedent of intelligence, of reflection, of many, many important things. Silence cures a lot of things that people don't realize. 
Everyone should insist upon not less than a quarter of an hour of absolute quiet every 24 hours. Go alone into the quiet place available to you and sit or lie down for 15 minutes and practice the art of silence. Do not talk to anyone. Do not write. Do not read. Think as little as possible. Throw your mind into neutral. Conceive of your minds as quiescent inactive. This will not be easy at first because thoughts are stirring up your mind, but practice will increase your efficiency. Conceive of your mind as the surface of a body of water and see how nearly quiet you can make it so that there is not a ripple. And I want to share that, you know, a lot of us suffer from ripples, you know, because in life, life is about casting a, a stone upon the water. And all you can do is watch that stone's ripples. And that's your life. And those ripples are the things that touch the individuals that surround the intricate parts of your everyday life and relationships. Americans, unfortunately, are not skilled in this practice, which is a pity. As for Thomas Carlyle, he said, Silence is the element in which great things fashion themselves. This generation of Americans has missed something that our forefathers knew and which helped to condition their character, and that is the silence of the great forest or of the far-reaching plains. Perhaps our lack in inner peace is due to some extent to the effect of noise upon the nervous system of modern people. And I totally believe that. And this book was written before the technology boom. And, and all of us see this every day in our lives with our kids, our friends, our friends' kids, our family, our cousins. You know, they're so addicted to the gadgets and TV. And, you know, TV was created by the government to control the mind and once they did studies um, in the U.S. government on people and how, you know, TV screens affected their concentration and how it made them, you know, so focused that they knew that there was something about screens that, um, you know, drove people to be able to be controlled in their minds by the government. And, you know, I mean, that's why you see every commercial you see on TV, it's, you know, there's some girl in a half-dress bathing suit or whatever because sex is everywhere and sex sells and it gets embedded in your brain and then it takes over and it creates little, you know, uh, little, it's like little spider webs inside your mind that you constantly have to go back through and get rid of the spider webs year after year and if you don't, it builds up into mental illness and having the power of negativity in your life instead of the power of positive thinking and Everybody struggles with this in America today. Scientific experiments show that noise in the place where we work, live, and sleep reduces efficiency to, uh, noticeable, to a noticeable degree. Contrary to popular belief, it is a doubt, excuse me, it is doubtful if we ever completely adjust our physical, mental, or nervous mechanisms to noise. No matter how familiar a repeated sound becomes, it never passes unheard by the consciousness, by the unconscious, excuse me, wow. By the subconsciousness, um, automobile horns, uh, the roar of airplanes, um, other strident noises actually result in physical activity during sleep. Impulses transmitted to and through the nerves by these sounds cause muscular movements which detract from real rest. And the reaction, 
oh, excuse me, if the reaction is sufficiently severe, it partakes of the nature of shock. And so that's why people and, you know, specialists tell us, like when we're having insomnia and stuff, like, you know, you can't listen to music while you sleep because you're not really resting. And I don't care who you are. I'm like, I have, I, all my sisters, oh, yeah, let's listen to music while we sleep. I've never listened to music while I sleep because I know better. My brain needs that time to totally be quiet inside of itself, you know. You may be somebody while you're awake, but when you're asleep, your mind is still somebody. And it's its own self while you're asleep. And it is still processing the things of the day that you've done to it or allowed it to see or allowed it to hear. And it's still processing these things while you sleep. And it's a computer. It don't ever, you know, forget. It just resets and starts over at times. And that's what we got to learn to do as a, um, a whole, as a society, is learn to reset ourselves every day, not every year, every 10 years. On the contrary, silence is a healing, soothing, healthy practice. Uh, Star Daily says, No man or woman of my acquaintance who knows how to practice silence and does it has ever been sick to my knowledge. I have noticed that my own afflictions come upon me when I do not balance expression with relaxation. And that's a lot of our problems in America. There's just so much noise around us. Constant noise. I mean, it's making us zombies. Star Daily closely associates silence with spiritual healing. The sense of rest that results from a practice of complete silence is a therapy of utmost value. And I find that to be completely true in my own life. And if you don't think these things are true, please, you know, reach out. Say something to me. Tell me that you feel differently. Tell me that you have read something somewhere else that uh, has this has been disproven, you know. And today we're doing The Power of Positive Thinking by Dr. Vincent Peale. And this is the Only You Podcast. Chapter 3 is how to have constant energy. And today in America, we are looking for energy sources everywhere we turn. They're on every street corner, every vendor. We got energy drinks. We got coffee. We got energy gum. We got B12 shots. We got, you know, you got so much garbage being pumped into our systems that... It's hard not to be in a chemical depression. You could be in a chemical depression and not know it. Be going to therapy for years wondering what's wrong with you. But in reality, you've been drinking two, three energy drinks a day. And it's literally driving you down and causing you to be ill. And like I said, uh, chapter three in the power of positive thinking is how to have constant energy. A major league baseball pitcher once pitched a game when the temperature was over 100 degrees, he lost several pounds as a result of the afternoon's exertion. At one stage of the game, his energy st sagged. His method for restoring his ebbing strength was unique. He simply repeated a passage from the Old Testament. But they will wait upon the Lord shall renew their. But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up the wings as eagles. They shall run, run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And that's Isaiah 40, 31. And I used to say that verse daily as I was running 10 miles a day. And once I got to that point of repeating that verse, when I started out running, I could barely run a block. I had smoked a pack of cigarettes for 10 years straight. I was so out of shape, but I knew I needed to change. And that's how I quit smoking as I started running every single day. And I repeated Isaiah 40, 31. 
and it literally took me to new heights. And once I reached 10 miles, I knew there was nothing in this world that I could not do, that I could not accomplish, and that I could not finish. And that I was what I considered an amazing human human being. Because, you know, Roger Bannister set the standard. Because before Roger Bannister in the 60s, uh, running a mile and four minutes flat was literally unheard of. They thought it was impossible, but Roger Bannister did it. And it's, man, it's still going on right now. People are setting records uh, from running. So anyways, Frank Hiller, the pitcher who had th this experience, told me that reciting this verse on the pitcher's mound actually gave him a renewed strength so that he was able to complete the game with energy to spare. He explained the technique by saying, I passed a powerful energy producing thought through my mind. How we think we feel has a definite effect on how we actually feel physically. If your mind tells you that you are tired, the body mechanism, the nerves, and the muscles accept the fact. Because, you know, you guys, your computer's in charge. You're letting your computer just be running on autopilot. Uh, you need to be dictating. You need to be the administrator of your mind, just like you're the administrator for all the passwords on your computer and everything else. If your mind is intense, intensely interested, you can keep on at an activity indefinitely. Religion functions through our thoughts. In fact, it is a system of thought discipline. By supplying attitudes of faith to the mind, it can increase energy. It helps you to accomplish prestigious activity by suggesting that you have ample support and resources of power. A friend in Connecticut, an energetic man full of vitality and vigor, says that he goes to church regularly to get his batteries recharged. Buddy, I do too. I love going to church because it's good for you. His concept is sound. God is the source of all energy. Energy is the universe, atomic energy, electrical energy, and spiritual energy. Indeed, every form of energy derives from the Creator. The Bible emphasizes this point when it says, He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth, increaseth strength. And that's Isaiah 40, 29, right there close to that other one. And another statement in the Bible describes the, um, the energizing and re-energizing process. In him we live, that is, having vitality and move, have dynamic energy, and have our being attained completeness. And that's Acts 17, 28. You guys, thank you for listening. This is the Only You Podcast, and today I was doing the power of positive thinking. Thank you guys for following me. Thank you for sharing me. I do appreciate it. I wanted to share with you before I go to some coping skills, um, how to deal with, you know, like um, when you have coping with um, audit, auditory sensitivities, so like noises through your ears. You know, as summer progresses, um, so does the frequency of noise in which I knew, I mean, now it's fall, but I mean, during the summers, like when, you know, everybody were, they have snow there. That's when everybody is out doing their thing. And, you know, there's a lot more, you know, fireworks, um, roaring hand dryers and public bathrooms at the beach and pool, um, at, um, and the variety of sounds of other children playing outside. Um, all of these sounds can be considerably triggered for a child with auditory sensitivities. And loud noises can provoke anxiety, rage, and irritability. Um, noise, you know, try noise-canceling headphones or earbuds. Uh, you could give war, uh, warnings and prepare. Uh, children can be warned. 
before certain sounds occur, like those produced from vacuums, toilets, and hand dryers. Um, you can afford your child that there is going to be a loud noise um, to cover their ears or your significant other if they have sensory issues. Um, you know, before entering a lo loud environments like a concert or something like that or a fireworks event, um, you could give a warning, you know, or have them wear earmuffs. Um, you know, coping with noise and, you know, you got to ask yourself, what are my tools when it comes to like you know auditory sensory issues you know um oftentimes loud noises make children upset and adults upset you know they they may need a way to release their emotions taking a break and removing themselves from certain auditory triggers can be helpful but it's not always able to be done in, in relaxed calm settings it could be but you know when it's going on right there in your face you know you have to get your child ready or your significant other or your partner whoever's having the auditory um sense sensory issues you know um stress balls can help children and adults you know um take three to five deep breaths um through your nose and out through your mouth uh, engaging and i want to tell you guys this when you breathe in halfway and then you breathe in another breath and then you let a full breath out that literally starts your brain simulating sleep man no matter if you're getting beat up by five people if you do this it will literally take the pain away if you're in the middle of an anxious situation where you're being yelled at and you decide to breathe halfway then breathe in another and then let out a full that's isometric breathing and that's another way that you can control certain things that are going on with your life whether it be surrounding stress anger attitudes or any other kind of situations and i do this when people you can do this when you're going to court you can do this while you're getting a ticket from a police officer in a traffic stop these things will calm your heart you you breathe in halfway and then you take another breath and fill your lungs full and then you make an elongated blowout through your mouth you know you breathe in twice through your nose and then let out through your mouth thank you guys for listening and today we went over the power of positive thinking by dr norman vincent peel i'm really grateful that you guys um listened i am always in tune with what you're saying out there i hope you guys follow me i hope you share me but most of all i really hope you guys are getting something out of my podcast and I, I find helping people or I, I find it to be one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me to be able to help somebody else through a struggle that I don't know they're going through. But then they reach out to me after hearing my podcast and they tell me how much it meant to me. And there is no greater feeling in the whole world to me than, you know, transferring information to someone who didn't know this information, but now it's helped them become a better person to make them smile when they couldn't smile for four years, you know. I love success stories. I love when people burn their whole lives down. From 18 to 28, either you build your empire or you burn it down. And a lot of guys go through this and they burn it down because they don't really grow up until about 28 or 29. That's most men in the world. But I am so grateful that I get to help these people of the world. I'm grateful you were listening. And this has been the power of positive thinking. Peace, y'all.